In today's gospel, our Lord teaches us that for Christians, marriage is permanent and unbreakable. He says, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. Now, why did the Lord teach this? Well, first of all, marriage between two Christians is a sacrament. It is a sign of Christ's own fidelity to the church and the church's fidelity or faithfulness to Christ. Because Christ's love for the church is permanent and unbreakable, so then also is the marriage bond. The permanence of marriage, though, is grounded not just in the fact that it's a sacrament, not just in its sacramental character, but also in marriage itself understood even from a natural perspective, even at a natural level. Marriage is for the good of the spouses. Even more so, marriage is for the good of the children. Divorce is bad for spouses. Even more so, divorce is bad for children. The data from the fields of psychology and sociology bear this out. I'm thinking, for example, of a study carried out by the psychologist Judith Wallerstein. She studied the long-term effects of divorce on hundreds of children over a period of 25 years. And what was the outcome of her study? Well, when she began her study, she personally believed that if the spouses were able to separate without fighting, and if the financial settlement was fair, and if the children had continued contact with both parents over the years that followed, divorce would be a crisis that children could overcome after about a period of two years or three years. Now, apart from the fact that those Three conditions very rarely obtain for any divorce. By the end of her 25-year study, she had changed her mind. She saw that even if those three conditions are in fact met, divorce is not experienced by children as something that comes and goes after just a couple of years. It is a life-altering experience that significantly affects children in their adult years. The parents' love for each other is an exemplar or a paradigm of love that gets implanted deep in the heart of the children. And when parents divorce, that paradigm, that subconscious paradigm, is damaged. And as their children grow into adults, this damaged paradigm significantly affects their ability to give and to receive love, especially in the areas of romantic love and intimacy and commitment and marriage. Now, my brothers and sisters, with all that said, I'd also like to talk about how sometimes the separation of spouses can be morally justified or even advisable. The negative effects of staying with someone can sometimes be greater than the negative effects of separation or divorce. So sometimes separation or divorce is like a form of damage control. It's very sad, but that's sometimes what it is. So sometimes... Uh, And it's very important here to make certain distinctions. The church has always taught that for Christians, divorce, properly speaking, is impossible. That is to say, divorce understood as the breaking of the sacramental marriage bond is impossible. At the same time, the church has always taught that the separation of the spouses or even a civil divorce can be justified or advisable. You see, there's a distinction between the sacramental marriage bond on the one hand and the civil and legal effects of marriage on the other. The sacramental bond can persist, it can continue to exist, while at the same time a Christian might be morally justified 
in pursuing a civil divorce. Note that I'm talking about uh, that I am not talking about remarriage. It's a very different question. Remarriage is a whole different story, as is the whole issue of annulments. When you bring remarriage into the picture, the whole question becomes much more complicated, and that would be a whole different homily. And I want to let everyone know that I am always available for counsel and help when it comes to this very sensitive topic. But as for now, in the interests of time, I'll have to limit my topic. Okay, so what are some of the reasons a Christian might be justified in separating from their spouse or even pursuing a civil divorce? First of all, adultery. Now, if the adulterous partner is repentant, it's advisable that reconciliation takes place, but that's sometimes not not the case. Also, serious physical or verbal abuse. Finally, intolerable life under the same roof due to criminal activity habitual drunkenness, serious neglect of home, children, finances, etc., usually stemming from substance abuse or gambling addictions or other addictions. Also, of course, sometimes a Christian did not want the divorce, but their spouse divorced them. Or it can be the case that a Christian sought and attained a divorce, but shouldn't have, and then much later on, after the marriage is totally irrecoverable, he or she realizes their fault and really is truly sorry The damage has already been done, though, and the task now becomes coping with the after-effects. In any event, divorce among Christians is a a reality. It's a pastoral reality. I deal with it as a pastor on on a weekly basis. What we should be most concerned about, though, are the children. Notice in our Gospel how the talk about marriage and divorce ends with Jesus embracing little children. This is no coincidence. It's the children who are the most important uh, players in all of this. So this homily is not meant to condemn anyone who has gone through a divorce. It's an invitation to think about our kids. Given the reality of the past divorce, how can we make things better in the future for our children or our grandchildren? Some of our children might be going through a divorce, or maybe they already have, and you know our family structures are complicated uh, and down the generational lines, and so we can think about our grandchildren. So here are some tips. Number one. Often children see their parents going through an emotional suffering of the divorce, and they, they don't want to add to it, so they turn into little angels. Okay, now, sometimes the kids will act out at school and there'll be behavior problems, but sometimes the exact opposite happens. Suddenly these kids become uh, super angels, and they're helping out around the house, and it's almost like they're taking care of mom, or they start to take care of dad. The reality of it is, though, they're going through their own turmoil, their own inner turmoil. And advice to parents would be, don't get wrapped up in the drama of your divorce so as to forget your kids. Spend time with them as a group and spend time with them one-on-one. Talk with them about separation or divorce. Talk, talking with them while playing games is a good idea. Even reading books or watching videos about divorce can be a helpful way of getting them to speak about their feelings. Oftentimes what happens is... In a normal, uh, normally functioning marriage, what will happen is the kids are center stage and they perceive themselves that way. And the parents, the mom and the dad, are kind of like supporting cast on the side. But then when a divorce starts to take place, it's like there's a, a role reversal. The parents now are center stage and the kids are on the sidelines. And so something that was meant to be given to them in a, in a kind of, a, of a, a developmental phase of their life is missing, and they grow up missing that phase. They become like little adults 
and they start taking care of their parents instead of vice versa. So we got to remember to always keep the kids center stage. Number two, provide an age-appropriate reason for the separation or divorce. Remind them repeatedly that the separation is a grown-up problem and that nothing they said or did caused it. This counteracts the feelings of guilt that children of divorce sometimes experience. So it's very often the case that parents are arguing with each other about the kids. And maybe little Johnny hears his name spoken quite frequently by his parents while they're arguing. And he associates that as, oh, it's my fault. They're arguing because it's me. I'm the cause of this divorce. So they really grow up with a sense of guilt. Um, and then all, oftentimes the parents actually never really tell their kids why the divorce took place. Okay, um, So it becomes in their psyche a kind of an arbitrary, scary experience that they have no real uh, rationale for. It's important to give them a reason. Number three, do not argue or fight in front of the children. This is not a cure-all, uh, but it does significantly lessen the emotional trauma uh, for kids. There's this one story I read. Uh, um, this one couple was going through a divorce, and their, their five- or six-year-old daughter, her name was Crystal, um, she would wake up in the middle of the night frequently with a screaming from nightmares. So she was having nightmares, and it was really, really bad. And they brought her to a counselor, and eventually the counselor, through playing different games with her, got her to talk about some dreams, that, that her nightmares that she'd been having. And the nightmare was this. She would dream repeatedly every night that bears were chasing her through the woods. These big bears were, gonna, were chasing her through the woods. And she would scream out to her parents, call to her parents for help, but her parents couldn't hear her because they were yelling at each other. <laughs> and they weren't communicating. So they weren't there for her. But I mean, that's a really profound dream that, that symbolizes this, the angst that the child is going through. The feeling of abandonment, the feeling that the, the parents are not there. So it's really important that the parents are not arguing and fighting uh, with each other in front of the kids. Number four, do not speak insultingly about, each, about the other parents in the presence of the children. This does two things. First of all, it makes the kids feel like they have to choose sides. Oh, mom's right. Oh, dad's right. You know, they got to choose sides. Uh, or, and or, it can also really diminish their own sense of self-esteem as well. Um, from the point, one spouse, you know, I, I didn't come from my husband, my husband didn't come from me, but you know from the perspective of the kid, they did. You know, so no one wants their parent uh, insulted. It really it diminishes their own sense of self-esteem. So it's really important to, as much as absolutely possible, speak positively or, or not speak negatively about the other spouse. It's also important, point five, is to communicate directly with your spouse. If you're co-parenting in two different households, you need to communicate directly with the spouse. Don't try to go through your kids. And don't use your kids as spies, you know, is your mom dating right now? Or, well, I'll tell your dad that you, you know, you've got to, he's got to get you to baseball practice at, at noon, noontime. Uh, again, that what it does is it places the kid in the middle of the separation. That's, that's really the cause of their own emotional turmoil. Uh, six, do not try to win them over to your side by being lax on discipline or spoiling them with gifts. Um, main, this is really just a sugar-coated form of fighting, actually, and, and that's really that's the cause of the problem for the child. 
Maintaining good discipline brings stability to an unstable situation, shows them that you care about them. Number seven, require children to attend Mass and participate in parish life. You will find your priest and your parish very understanding of your situation. Today, especially divorce, there isn't really the stigma associated with it as there was in the past. So it's really important to to know that you're not going to be condemned. You really need to draw closer to God at this time of your life uh, more than at any other time. You can use your suffering to grow closer to Jesus. Your fidelity to Christ in this time of trial will be the best lesson that you can give to your children. And then finally, look to the examples of the saints and pray to them for help. There's nothing we can go through on this earth that the saints have not already gone through. So, for example, St. Helena, the mother of Constantine, she uh, was divorced. Okay, so here's a saint who was divorced. There's another saint, St. Guntramnus, kind of an exotic name there, ancient saint. And he, he did the opposite. He actually divorced his wife unjustly. Later on, he converted and he became a great saint. Okay. And then finally, there's Saint Eugene de Mazenod, a 19th century French saint, uh, and he was the son of divorced parents. And so, in light of this, especially in light of the saints, it's important never to lose sight of our call to holiness. Even in the midst of something so negative as divorce, holiness is still a possibility. Don't lose hope and don't give up. And for those who have gone through a divorce, the message here is that the church needs you. You have experience and wisdom that can be of great help to others who are going through what you already went through. Are there any of our brothers and sisters who are now currently going through a divorce? Is there a way you can draw upon your experience to help them and their children? Oftentimes, as a pastor, I deal with a situation 10 years, 15 years, 20 years after it happened, and they say, you know, when I was going through the divorce, no one in the church was really there for me. Everybody pretty much just let everything go its own way and no one said anything to me, no one offered to help. Okay, So maybe we can avoid that taking place right now for those who are currently going through a divorce. God can take something as bad as your divorce and use it to help you, your children, and your fellow Christians come closer to him and answer his call to holiness.